0: Well, we are continuing our study through the book of Revelation and we are in the churches section, the first uh, three chapters. Once we get to the end of chapter 3, the church is no longer mentioned, which means we are raptured at that moment. So I believe what God's telling us in the first three chapters is get ready for what's coming. And when he's addressing the churches, and we've mentioned this before, it's any church in any particular time period not only churches in general, but I think people as well could answer the questions that are being asked. So all these things that God is challenging the churches and correcting them and encouraging them is all in preparation so that we are ready for whatever happens in the rapture at the end of chapter 3. And last week we began our study in the book of Thio, or the church of Thyatira, and this was a church that was being corrupted from the inside out. If you remember, Pergamum was a church that was being corrupted from the outside in. This one was one being corrupted from the inside out. And he first, Jesus first starts off by commending them for all their deeds, or love, faith, patience, servants, and perseverance. And all these characteristics, I think, we would love to have him say about us, that we have the same love and faith and dedication that this church had. But as with all the other churches, or most of them, they had another issue that they weren't Correcting, they weren't doing anything about. In this church, there was a a very influential woman who was teaching false doctrine to a group that was in the church, and it wasn't, and it wasn't a a doctrine that we agreed to disagree on. How many know that there are other great churches out there that have believed a little bit differently than we do, but they hold to the tenets of the faith? They believe in deity of Christ, a virgin birth, a resurrection. And, and all the things that we adhere to as Christians, it's not talking about things that we agree to disagree on. And A, a couple of examples would be how the church government is, and maybe the Holy Spirit, and maybe uh, the timeline of the end times. Those are all things that good Christians differ on. This is not what they're talking about. They're talking about something in church that is totally heretical, totally that should not be in the church at all. And verse 20 says this, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. And he goes on in verse 20 by saying, She does this by her teaching. She misleads my servants in the sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. The church as a whole was was a good church. They were teaching. They were doing everything. they They were growing. But the problem was they had this section, this lady in the church and it wasn't a lady who was teaching a little offbeat stuff she was teaching things that were totally against what god's word says and the problem was was her but it was problem was the church wasn't correcting it the church was allowing it to go on and this woman was beginning to gather a following behind her and the problem that jesus was addressing is the church is responsible for the sheep the church is the guardian of the sheep we are supposed to make sure that no wolves get into the flock. How many understand what God says? And there's many wolves out there they are going to come in, and we need to guard for that. And we need to be teaching everything that's biblical and right. And even though the church as a whole were doing it, they weren't correcting the ones that weren't. And notice that Jesus is telling them that they're were, they were believers. These are Christians that are in this group. And he's calling them his servants. And these are the folks, younger Christians, and, and who love God, they wanted to do right, but now they're being led away to do wrong. Let me know that all, almost every cult is packed with Christians who were raised in the church because for whatever reason, they weren't grounded in the Word and they got misled. They were drawn away by someone who was teaching them something that sounded good, sounded almost biblical, but they were drawn away from it and now they're involved in an organization that is totally antithetical to what God's Word says. And the church wasn't doing anything about it. And that's why Jesus says, I got this against you. Not only are we to be proactive in doing things for God and reaching out and preaching God's word, we also need to be on the defense as well. We need to be defensive about what we allow into our lives, into the church, into our own field of study. And what was she saying in verse 20? It says I was, She was teaching them and leading them into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. In other words, she's teaching them all the idolatrous heathen practices of the day. And we're going to find out that she was doing that so that people could fit into society. Now, if you read the Old Testament, every time you had a a king that was good, a next king would come up that was a bad king, the first thing that they would do is they would incorporate into Judaism, they would incorporate all the idols of the nations around them. They would start doing the things that everybody else was doing. And the problem was, Israel was supposed to be different from everybody else. They were supposed to be the nation that drew others to God. Others were supposed to look at Israel and see that they were different and want what Israel had. proselyte They were supposed to come in and want to be uh, the same covenant that, that Israelites has. But the problem was, instead of being different and drawing people to themselves, they were drawing away from themselves. They were becoming like everybody else. They were supposed to be different, But they were living like everybody else lives. So instead of being different, they became like all their neighbors in the Old Testament. And I wrote, I scribbled in my notes, which is good because I can't usually read my scribbling. It says, we don't win people by being just like them. We win people by being different from them and having something that they want. That's a Christian life. If we become just like everybody else, then we're no different and we have nothing to offer them. People may think that you are weird or different or whatever, but there's going to come a time when people look at you and their life may be in a mess. And you may be going through situations too, but they're going to look at you and they're going to see something in you that they don't have. And they're going to want to know what that is. And Israel, as the Old Testament says, they were just becoming everybody else. And in this group, this group was becoming like the world because they wanted to go along to get along instead of being different and drawing people in. The second part of that verse says they're eating the food sacrificed to idols. Now, during this time period when unbelievers or those who didn't worship God, they would offer sacrifices to the God that whoever they worshiped. And they would sit around the table after that worship segment, and they would eat that fruit that they just sacrificed to the idols. Now, we talked last week about the guilds that were in that, in that time period, kind of like we would call them a union today. And they were, they were really influential in the town. In fact, if you didn't belong to this guild, you couldn't work. And each guild had their own little god that they sacrificed to, and they had their own little festivals, their own little ceremonies, and their, all, their own practices. And if whatever guild you belonged to, you had to go along with that, that worship, which meant you had to go to the, the worship festivals, you had to eat their food, you had to do everything that they did. And a lot of times that involved sexual immorality. A lot of them had temple prostitutes and you had to go to their temple and be a part of that in order to be a part of this guild or this union so that you could work. And she was telling the people basically, that they could be Christian, they could be in this church and be a part of a good church, but you could also belong to these organizations and do everything that they do and participate in all their activities and still be a Christian. And Jesus says, she's taken him away. And we talked about last week, she was, Jesus called her a Jezebel. Now, I don't know anybody, you know, names in the Old Testament meant something. And when you named your child something, it it meant something to them. I don't see anywhere else in the Bible that someone has been named Jezebel. Why? Because the name has a connotation to it. Now, we mentioned last week that she probably didn't call herself that, but Jesus is referring her to that. She has a Jezebel spirit about her. And that tells you what type of a person she was. She wasn't some misguided person. She was deliberately Drawing people away from Christ. She was, and if you look in the Old Testament, Jezebel, you know, God had a deal with her because of her sin. And so he's saying to this group, this person is, she's not, she doesn't have good intentions. She is deliberately teaching them something that they need to not be taught because she's leading young Christians aside. And church, you need to come in and stop it. And verse, and Paul addressed this meat sacrifice to idols thing in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, if some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for your conscious sake. Now we talked, there's, an art, there's a part in the Bible about meat sacrificed to idols. And Paul goes on to say, we know that idols are nothing. They don't mean anything. They're just a bunch of wood or whatever. And so, if you're sacrificing to something, it doesn't mean anything either. He says, if it doesn't bother you to eat that, then eat it. However, if it really bugs you and it bothers you, even though you're allowed to eat it, then don't eat it. Don't violate your conscience to do that. I've will give you. Uh, i used this example before. The Bible does not condemn drinking. How many know that? Don't tell the teens that, but the Bible doesn't <laughs> condemn drinking. It does condemn drunkenness. Some people, myself included, don't drink at all because I came from that. And so it is a stumbling block for me so I don't do it because it would violate my conscience to do it. But it doesn't mean it would violate your conscience to do it. And that's what Paul is saying. If it it bothers you, if it's something in your life that really, you can't do it for, for God because you know what it was like, then don't do it. But if it doesn't bother you, you can do it. And so, but he's saying this is a little bit different because they're actively participating in the worship by being a part of this guild. They were going to the festivals. They were offering these sacrifices to God. They were doing it deliberately. So it's different than that. They were using these activities as a part of worship. Now, Revelation two twenty one says this. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Notice what God is saying. He's not judging her based on what she's teaching. He's judging her on her sin. Her immorality. Now what's the difference? What is the one sin that keeps you out of heaven? Unbelief. Unbelief. Right? When you, unless you repent of that, you're not going to make an end. It doesn't matter what sins you have accumulated. The one sin of unrepentance is what keeps you up. He could have addressed the things that she was doing. I'm going to judge her for her teaching. I'm going to judge her because, No, I'm going to judge her because of her immorality. Her own personal immorality. And her own personal immorality, the one thing that's keeping her out of heaven, is the one thing that might keep us out of heaven our inability to acknowledge our own sin and repent of it. I had the, the teens today, and I told them I was going to mention this because it was part of our class. Part of the class was taking responsibility. You know, to say, I've asked them, have you ever said to your parents or anybody that you were wrong? No. Nobody. They've never said they were wrong. And I said, why? Because I'm not wrong. <laughs> and I said, I bet you if I asked your parents that, they would be different and, and the point was it's your personal sin and you have to take account for your sin part of the lesson was you can't you're not getting in on somebody else's coattails you have to repent on your own just because mom or grandma was a Christian does not mean that you are one and you have to make that choice for yourself which means you have to acknowledge that you're wrong and that you're sinful and God's saying, I've given her time to acknowledge that she's sinful. That she is sinful in herself. And she has not. She's unwilling, the Bible says. God was long... Su- he hasn't judged her yet. God's long-suffering in allowing her to do this. He's long-suffering with people who need to know Christ. And how many are glad, glad of that? God's long-suffering with us, right? Not only after, before we're saved, but after we're saved. We're praying for the folks on that cross there. Most of them are friends and family that we know who need Christ. And the verse that we've kind of hung on that is 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise as some understand slowness. Again, talking about the rapture, talking about Christ's return. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Talk, think about that. There's nothing keeping... God, Jesus, from returning for the rapture right now. Nothing. God can do it right now. Rapture can happen in the middle of my sentence. But the Bible says he's patient, not wanting any to perish. There's people out there that need Christ. That's the reason he's not come back yet. And we're praying that God does that before he comes back. And the verse in Second Peter is talking about his promise of Judgment. He wants everyone to come to repentance because He knows what's going to happen after that. You know, as we get into the later chapters of Revelation, you are not going to want to be here for that because it is horrible. I mean, you think it's bad now in different parts of the world. We're going to watch a video. Oh, by the way, I'm not going to be here Wednesday. We're going to watch a video. One of those in the video is Can You Take the Mark of the Beast Accidentally and you're going to see what the bible says about that but the point is if you're a christian during if you get saved during the tribulation you will be martyred you will obviously you'll definitely be martyred and the bible says there will be 5 months of unending torture that you will endure you will want to die but you will not be able to die imagine the worst torture you can have going on for 5 solid months before you're before you finally die and Jesus is saying I don't want anyone to go through that I want everyone to come to repentance now not everyone will but he's taking as long as he can so that people we know and that we're praying for don't have to go through that and if you do take the mark you won't have suffering here but you will have eternal suffering Jesus has given this lady several opportunities to repent. He was long-suffering with her as well. God has given each of us, and those we pray for, on a consistent basis, time to repent. As long as we're here, as long as the church is here, Jesus hasn't returned. There is time for people to repent. So we want people to come to know Christ. Keep praying. I ask this question. I don't know how many it applies to, as you look back on your life, how many times did you hear the gospel and not respond? In other words, how many times were you in church and you heard it and you said no? And you kept doing it. And you kept doing it. Until finally, you accepted it. Aren't you glad God was long-suffering with you? Each time God has given us a time to repent, And each time we didn't was another time of us being unwilling unwilling to acknowledge the truth. Now that we're believers, we're sin-free, right? No. We all sin. And God gives us Christians time to repent of those as well. All these churches He's addressing, He's preparing them, He's trying to correct the things that are going wrong in each church so that each church and each individual is ready For the rapture, he wants no one to be left behind. He wants no one to have to endure what's coming. And so he's trying to encourage each of the churches to to get right and each of the individuals to get right. Remember, Jesus is calling this church believers, so he's talking to Christians. The Bible says he walks among the churches and judges the hearts and the actions of each one of us. And his desire for us is to feel the conviction and then repent of the sins, I told the teens as well. You know, obviously, because they do nothing wrong. They're always right. I asked them if they ever felt guilty about doing something. No. I said, here's the thing. With sin, you need to feel guilty. You should have a feeling of guilty in there. As a Christian, you should feel something guilty in you, which is causing you to want to ask God to forgive you. And... And I told them, the more you ignore that, the further away from God you're going to get. Because it's no longer going to be in you. In other words, if you... I, you know, I didn't give them this example, but the first time you swipe something from a store, you steal something. You feel really guilty, man. You walk out and you just feel guilty. The second time you do it, maybe not so much as guilt. Until you do it the tenth time and you don't feel any guilt at all. As a Christian... God's going to try to convict you of sin, but the more you ignore it, the less that voice is going to be of conviction. And you're not going to feel that conviction anymore. And we've been talking about eternal security on Wednesday night, and that's at that point that you are going to walk away because you've ignored the conviction of the Spirit in you to get right to the point where He no longer has any influence upon you. And He's trying to get all these churches on track so that they're ready for that. how many of us think the things that are going on in the world are okay but God says differently? There's a lot of things that the world thinks is fine and the problem is sometimes the church thinks they're fine as well because we operate on emotion rather than what God's word says and it's hard because some of the things get us emotionally Because we think, well, it can't possibly, you know, God can't really mean that, can He? And He does. And in every case that happens, God is calling us to acknowledge the fact that He's right and we're wrong. I guess I should have titled this series, Am I Ready? The main part of being ready is the willingness and ability to repent of things in our lives. How many have ever taken a lie detector test for your job or whatever? I've had to take a couple of them. And you know what happens? You begin to think of all the bad things you've done in your life. (laughs) And they're going to ask you these things. And what happens is you have to basically acknowledge them up front. Okay, when I was 20, I did this. When I was 25, I did that. And now that I'm... whatever age I am now. (laughs) I'm not doing them anymore. But you have to be willing to admit that you're wrong and repent of them. And I wrote down, if given time we don't repent and consistently refuse to do that, God will start His correction process. Verse 22 in Revelation 2 says, So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I, told, I said to the kids this morning, the teens, God will spank you. And they laughed. And they said, "Oh, well, I don't feel that anymore. I don't, I'm too big. I said, listen, God spanking is not a little swat in the butt. God is going to spank you to the point where you, are, you know that God's dealing with you. He says, I'm going to cast her on a, a bed of suffering. What's God do? He starts with the leader first. Starts with the lady, the Jezebel. What's the Bible say? Those who assume to teach will be judged harsher than those who are listening. And so he's going to judge the teacher first and God will allow this suffering in the ultimate goal of restoration. Right? All of God's punishment is remedial. He wants us to come back. He's not meant to push us away. He's doing it to get our attention. There's a story in 1 Corinthians 5 that says, When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, this is the guy that was having an affair with his stepmother, hand this man over to Satan, so that his sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved in the day of the Lord. What's he saying? Let him suffer. Because in the end, it's going to bring him back. Suffering is meant to be remedial. Now, we can refuse to accept that and just move away. But God always does punishment and correction in order to bring us back. And what happens when you don't repent the first time? God allows the suffering to continue. And Jesus has given this church and every church in the area and basically a heads up. Of what's going to happen. So they're not surprised by what's going to happen to the folks in the church. And they're not going to be surprised as to why it is happening. Revelation verse 23, 2.23, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am He who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. This is the group of people that were following the leader. I've mentioned before, the leader will be judged but does not, does not excuse the people that follow her. They will be judged as well. You can't... I, I said to the kid something this morning. I said, do you ever sin? I forget. The question was... And one of the kids said, well, Satan made me do it. And I said, well... I said, he can tempt you but he can't make you do anything. He can tempt you but you have to choose to do it. The devil doesn't make you do anything. And you can't blame it on the devil. Because you are the one that gave in. And so these folks can't blame it on the teacher. They can't blame it on the devil. They're only going to be held responsible because they refuse to acknowledge what God's word says. They should have known better. They should have, and through this teaching, the Holy Spirit should have been convicting them at that time. He should have been telling them, hey, this isn't right. They should have acknowledged that and got out of it, but they weren't. And so God says, okay, I'm going to allow you to suffer too because I'm going to bring you back. And they couldn't say we didn't know because they were already believers. And this was the warning not only to the church but to them. When this judgment came about, everyone was going to understand what God was doing because God's very protective of his church and his people. God says, he searches our hearts and our minds. I told the kids again today, nothing you do, God doesn't see. And I said, and I, I'll bet your parents, because I told them this too, That I always found out what my kids were doing. Always. Someone would tell me, someone would see them, they would tell me, and I always found out. And I, My grandson's in there, and I said, and your mother, I told her, and I found out. What did she do? <laughs> she says, nothing. I'm just telling you, I'm gonna, your parents are going to find out. And if, and if you think your parents aren't going to find out, I'm going to tell you God already knows it. And God is going to reveal it. So you better look over your shoulder every time you want to do something because God and your parents are going to be there. And they're going to find out. So I hope they're fearful of that. Nothing is done in secret. Remember, what God's trying to tell the church is preparation, self-examination. Get ready for the rapture. Get rid of all the stuff that's in your church that's wrong. God's desire is that we are ready for his return, the rapture. First, First John 3. Yes, dear friends, we are already God's children, and we can't even imagine what it will be like when Christ returns. But we do know that when he comes, we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. All who believe this will keep themselves pure. Just as Christ is pure. In other words, we've got to be ready. We just can't live however we want to live and expect to make the rapture. If we expect Christ to return, we have to live like Christ is going to return. Verse 23 says, Then all the churches will know that I am He who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. God is going to make an example of this group. We don't want God to make an example of you. Verse 24 goes on and says, now, to the, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. So you have this group is following this Jezebel girl. They're getting led astray. and God says, you're not repenting. You're not repenting. I'm drawing you. I'm trying to nag you. You get the word in you and you're not repenting. So you're going to get punished for that. However, there's another group in the church that they're not a part of that. They still love God. They're doing everything right. And God is saying, Good. Don't sway from that. Don't get tempted. Don't follow anyone else. And even though the church as a whole, the leadership of the church wasn't correcting this girl, this Jezebel, you had a group in the church that wasn't following it. And they they were serving God anyways. And He's encouraging them to hold on to that. Don't follow her. Don't get sucked into her teaching even though it may seem popular, and even though you think it might help you in the world by getting a job or being able to earn a living. There's always going to be teaching that draws us away from God and draws us into being more like the world. How many of you have experienced that? We, like Thyatira, have to stick with the truth regardless of what goes on around us. Now, there's a distinction that we want to make with the world. Now, I've mentioned it before. We need to know the difference between God's desired morality in our lives and the items that aren't morality-based. What I mean by that? God's message never changes, right? Everything that we preach now was probably preached 200 years ago and 2,000 years ago. The gospel and the truth we preach is the same. However, the way we do it changes. Just because we meet in a nice air-conditioned building or heated as the days change, unfortunately, doesn't make us any better or worse than those who met in huts 2,000 years ago. God's blessed us. We're able to use it. It's not a morality thing. It's a, it's a blessing of the world. The building we meet in is neither good or bad. It's not morality-based. This building is not a moral thing. I had a, we had a, In our old church, we had a, a, an opportunity to buy a building that was used by some unsavory occupation. And there were some folks in the church saying, well, we shouldn't buy it because it used to be whatever it was. I can't remember what it was. We shouldn't buy it then, you know. No, because it was used as a sinful thing, we shouldn't buy it. But our contention was the building is not sinful. What happened there was sinful, but the building's not. And every time the Jews went in to conquer a land, it was a sinful land. They conquered it, and they took it, and benefited themselves. And the, and the one thing I can think about is the, the pro-life organization in York meets in an abortion clinic that used to be an abortion clinic. Talk about redeeming the day. That's awesome. But the enemy meant for evil, God turns around for good. It's not a morality thing. The building's not moral or not moral. Music on a page is neither good or bad. Now, words are different, but the music itself, something in the key of D, is neither good nor bad. The beat is neither good nor bad. It's not a moral thing. Whether I dress in a shirt and tie, Or cutoffs and t-shirts, not a moral thing. Maybe a weird thing. All these are personal, non-moral choices. It used to be everybody on the platform wore a suit and tie. I I came here, I started wearing a suit and tie. I thought, well, this is ridiculous. No one else is wearing a suit and tie. (laughs) So I'm going to change. I haven't... We're worn jeans yet on a Sunday maybe at some point <laughs> is preaching in a t-shirt a sin well for me it might be if I wear a t-shirt but no because it's not a moral issue is stealing a sin yes because it's a moral issue and I'm sure that many things have changed in the past 80 or so years that this church has been here all kinds of changes Window treatments, paints, room assignments, carpeting, music styles, band, no band. What I'm confident hasn't changed is the message. The same thing that's being preached today was probably preached 80 years ago. Jesus is saying, hold on to that. The other stuff you don't worry about, hold on to what you're being taught because that's what matters. Verse 24 says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, those of you who do not hold on to a teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The gospel. God's call for every church is to hold on to what you have. Hold on to the teaching. Hold on to the biblical truth you have until I come. And again, he's referring to his return in the rapture. A desire for us is to be aware of, that in any moment he can come. Now he talks about the deep secrets here. They're not really explained and various commentators disagree on what they could be. So I'm going to put my own twist on this. It's not biblical, but it might be a good example. How many have heard of preachers finding some new secret in the Bible? A couple years ago it was the Bible code. Remember that? Man, I, I... if you go through and you, you do all this stuff and you twist this around and you come up with this code and you can come up with all these great spiritual truths that we've never seen before. Yeah, no thanks. Some of you weren't alive or barely alive back in 1988. There was a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Return in 1988. And he, this guy, he was on the radio all the time. He was giving biblical evidence and proof of why he knew Jesus was coming back in 1988. Now you would think that he would just go humble himself after 1988. But in 1989, he wrote 89 reasons why Christ is coming back in 89. (laughs) Stick to the things you know. Jesus says plainly, no one's going to know when I'm coming back. Nobody. And so all these, quote, deep secrets that people are finding in the Bible that they've never found before, be careful of those things. Because they're usually meant to draw you away. And Satan can use those as a deep secret in the Bible that's you know no one's seen before, but you have this revelation from God. This is true. Nothing new under the sun. Hold on to the basics of the faith. Don't go chasing new truths or deep secrets. Pretty much everything that we've been taught in the Bible was still true. (laughs) Nothing new. Is going to come about. The Bible says, in fact, if you add to it or take from it, you're in a heap big trouble. Verse 26 says, To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He tells us we need to overcome all the temptations that are here today and continue to do what God has called us to do. With so many... With technology today it's like they're addicted to these things. I was telling Marlene, my grandson, Lincoln, he's three, he has this radar sense. He can find a cell phone that anyone lays down in the house. And within a nanosecond of me leaving it on the table, he will be on it texting somebody. He called Marlene the other day <laughs> on, on Messenger. And he, and he types his gibberish in, you know, on the phone. And, and the other ones, they're like mesmerized to the screen. And it's easy to get mesmerized by something that's nice and flashy in front of you. Now, we complain about the younger generation, but we're all as guilty as anybody else of something else that's nice and flashy that we have before us. And he's saying, don't succumb to the temptation the Bible says that so easily besets. And how many know the devil knows what pushes your buttons? Things that you, other things that you have no problem with, but things that you know will get your attention. There's a, there's a truck for sale It's out on Canal. And every, every logical thing in my body says, don't buy it, you don't need a truck. But my emotion says, but I want a truck. <laughs> I have to overcome what the emotion says and go with the logic of saying, "I, I don't, A, I don't have the cash to spend for the truck, and I'm not gonna waste my money on a truck I don't need. You have to overcome the things that are gonna draw your attention away from God. And they may not all be bad things. They may be things that are okay, but if they're more important than God to you or God's will for you, then they become sinful. Matthew twelve or twenty-four, twelve says, Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But those who endure to the end will be saved. It means we gotta persevere, right? We've said this on Wednesday with the eternal security issue. You can't live however you want and expect to make the rapture or expect to be saved. He who endures to the end will be saved. The proof of authentic trust in Jesus is that we remain steadfast in our belief and continue to do God's will until he returns or until we die. So that means we are committed to doing God's will to the very end. Verse 27 says, He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. And that's he's just quoting Psalm 20, or Psalm verse two, chapter 2. Verse 7 says, He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. This is the father telling the son he's going to rule the nations. And if you remember what God says in Romans eight seventeen, it says, now we are children. If we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share his sufferings in order that we may share his glory. If we are co-heirs, and Christ is going to rule the nations. That means we are going to rule as well. If you're faithful to the end. Verse 28 says, I will also give him the morning star. The star in the morning, some believers, is the sunrise. Some believers, the sunrise. Signifying a new day, a new beginning. I believe it equates to the resurrection. The resurrection. Our bodies will be Resurrected the morning star, the brand new day. Verse, or look in Revelation or Revelation twenty two sixteen says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you the, this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Again, a reference to Christ's return. If he returns and if we are dead, will we be raised to life. If we are here, we'll be translated in the rapture. Overcome a new day or a new beginning. How many are excited for that, by the way? My pastor used to say, if there is a rocket ship out there that could take you to heaven today, how many would you get on it? Right now would you get on it? And as a young parent, I would say, maybe not today. But as an old guy, okay, today would be good. But the only problem with that is, if we're gone... And all those people are still here. And we don't want that to happen. We want them to make that transition as well. He ends it with verse 27. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, not a letter to just one particular church, but every church in every generation and every person specifically or personally in our lives so we, you may be in a church that does all these things right but you yourself are being led astray the letters for you as well the reason we changed the curriculum in the women's bible study is because it was veering off a little bit now, I, don't, I don't doubt that they're believers but I just had an issue with some of the things they were teaching as did Anna and as did the ladies that's, that's discernment <laughs> We need to always be alert and discerning of what we're listening to, what we're being taught, what God's Word says. So we are ready. We're not run away. We're ready for the rapture. We want to be ready for His turn, return. We read earlier, knowing that He is coming, we pur- purify ourselves for that moment. And and Jesus gives many examples of not being ready for the return. And I use the example of kids when their parents are away. Think of home alone. They do all these things not knowing the parents are going to return or they think they're coming at a later date than they actually do. A later time. And the kids do crazy things with the expectation of being able to clean up before the parents get home. When in fact, when the parents return home early, the kids are busted. And we catch them. We don't want to get busted. We want to make sure we're ready. We're ready for that. That means we have to be discerning what we listen to, be prepared. Not only just listen, the Bible says we need to be doers. It's one thing to listen to God's word. And take it all in. But if you don't do it, you might as well not listen to it. Because the word is meant to change what you do. Would you stand as we close this morning? I was never a big fan of Revelation in in teaching it only because I thought, well, we're not going to be here for it. We're not gonna, the church isn't going to be here for it other, after the first three chapters. But the Bible says all of God's word is profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking. All of it. So even though we're not going to be here, I hope it gives us a sense of the horror that is coming. And it renews in us a desire to win people to Christ. Sometimes we forget how bad it's going to be, and we need to be reminded of it. We've heard the expression, prophecy isn't meant to scare us, but prepare us for what's coming. And maybe if our lives need to be in check, that's good. But I think it's more important that we ask God to revive us and give us that sense of urgency. Because if if the time is short, and everything, everybody you listen to says it is, our job is not done. It's great to meet here and worship God and God does things through us, but we only meet here once or twice a week. The rest of the time, we're supposed to be doing God's work out there. And that means talking to the people you need to talk to. Praying for the people that don't want to hear you anymore. They're tired of listening to you. Or they're impossible to talk to. Those are the ones we pray and intercede for. The Bible says, nothing's too hard for God. Right? Nothing. And if God wants everyone to be saved, he wants everyone to come to repentance, we already know we're praying in God's will. Ask anything in my will and I will do it according to my will. God's will, he wants everyone to be saved, praying for them that God breaks down the barriers and saves them. But it's a continuing process, not just a one-time thing. God's going to do it. And I don't know about you, but I pray the scary one, whatever it takes. You know, the Bible says the blessings of God leads people to repentance or the goodness of God leads people to repentance. If that's, you know, if that's how you do it, God, that's great. Bless them and draw them to you. But if God needs to spank them, get their attention, okay, I'm okay with that. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter what happens to the body here as long as you make it on the other side. Because hell is eternity forever and ever and ever and ever on fire forever. Seems like science fiction. But we know it's true. And so that should give us a great fear for those that aren't aren't saved right now and a great burden for them to be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you. We are so blessed. In this church, we are blessed. Our families, we are blessed. This country, we are blessed. And we are always thanking you. And in this course, with thanksgiving. As we come, we are thankful for how much you have blessed us beyond measure. But Lord, I pray that you would continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit. That you would continue to fill us with a burden and a desire. A burden that we just can't shake. And the opportunity to be what you want us to be in the field. There's so many people in our family and our friends that don't know you. So Lord, we intercede on their behalf and we pray in the name of Jesus. That you would break down every barrier that's keeping them from you that you would remove the blinders that the enemies put in front of their eyes. That you would do what it takes in their life. And you know exactly what it takes for each individual. You know the end from the beginning, so you know what's going to work. And I pray that you would work in their lives in such a manner that they come to know you. Not just say the prayer, though, but they are on fire for the things of God. They will experience true repentance and true salvation and true transformation in their life. Father, we pray for miracles. And we pray for miracles, not just for the miracle's sake. We pray for miracles so that people see the power of God and that people's lives are transformed by that. The most powerful miracle we can see, Lord, is, is a life that's transformed by salvation, by the Holy Spirit of God in their life. So, Father, that's the miracle we want to see. All the other ones we, we want we pray for, all the needs that we have in our families, but, Father, we want to see a transformed life. We want to see the power of God working in those we're praying for. And we'll know, Lord, in advance that you're the one doing the work. And we continue to pray that, you're, that, Father, you draw them and you draw them and you draw them and you nag them and you do whatever you need to do. Keep them awake at night. Let the word of God that they may have heard at some point in their life come back to them. Your word says it doesn't, your word does not return void, but it will accomplish its purpose. So if they've ever heard a message, I pray that you would bring that back to them they ever read a verse in the Bible you bring it back to them you accomplish in their life what you mean to accomplish and you bring them to the cross hallelujah before we finish that prayer I'd be remiss if I didn't offer that opportunity this morning maybe you're here and you've been in a church all your life or this is new to you But you know you've never really made a commitment to Christ. You've never asked Him for the forgiveness of your sins. You've never, as we've mentioned, repented. And all repentance means is you've changed your mind about something, and you go the other way. If you've never experienced salvation, you've never come to Christ and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins, and you feel the life-changing transformation that the Spirit of God does in you, then that's for you today. That's why you're here. God does nothing by accident. You're here's because God directed you to be here. And God did that to get your attention so that you would come to the point where you asked Jesus into your life to forgive you of your sins. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. We're going to pray, and God, I believe, is going to do something in your life. It's, it's transformation. Father, for the rest of us, I thank you that you are long-suffering with us, and you're long-suffering with those who have yet to come to know you. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in their lives, continue to work in our lives, Lord, revive us. Help us to live our lives strictly to honor you so that we are purified on the moment that you return. Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person here Allow every one of us to have an opportunity to talk to people about what you've already done for us. You don't have to be a theologian or a preacher. You just tell people what God did for you. And we believe that God, you'll use that. So Father, we ask your anointing and blessing upon us as we leave today in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Wednesday.